and welcome to another Scots We Hay podcast. And today I'm talking to Karina Birrell, the producer of Harry Birrell Films of Love and War. Hello, Karina. Hello. And keen listeners will spot a connection there, but could you tell us about your relationship with Harry and then therefore the film? Um, so Harry was my grandfather, um, my dad's father, and he... Um, he passed away when I was only eight years old, so I didn't really have the opportunity to get to know him um, very well in my own lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was aware that he um, he had he had spent a lot of his life amateurly recording uh, film and keeping diaries and photo albums and documenting lots of things that happened to him in his life. So as I became increasingly aware of quite what uh, uh, what his archive contained, I became more and more motivated to want to do something with it. Yeah, because this is no normal life, as yeah. you can see from the footage, and it's incredible that a, a family you know has this um, footage of someone from it. And it's astonishing to see. Um, so, how did the film come about? Because you had a lot of footage. Yes. Um, Yes, there was a lot of footage. Um, The film really came about because I guess I, so I trained as an actor and then I started segueing a bit into producing as well. And um, the more people I got to know in the industry and the more I kind of got to understand really how the industry worked a bit, I thought I was, I became more and more interested in sort of testing whether there was any value really to um, an audience outside of the family wanting to see mm. some of the stuff that Harry had done, given that I'd only actually seen really a sort of um, fraction of the films that he'd made as a child. I'd, we'd been able to see some some stuff that he'd had transferred onto Betamax and onto VHS. Right. Um, so anyway, I started kind of talking to people about the idea. I said, look, my granddad had filmed this kind of extraordinary amount of stuff. I haven't seen a lot of it. I know there's a lot of film there. Um, do you think there'd be any value in this? And the more people I spoke to, the more sort of positive responses I got that, yeah, I think this is quite a yeah. unique thing that you're yeah. sitting on here. And um, and Harry donated quite a lot of his uh, films, well, 11 or so titles of short films to the Scottish Screen Archive. And my father is the signature for that. And the, the interest and the kind of queries wanting to use bits of Harry's film started to ramp up a bit and I yeah. felt that there was this increasing appetite for archive and for exploring um, whether amateur or professionally made film that had been never seen before and particularly stuff as early as that as Harry had shot colour film in the 30s and yeah. footage of the war in the, in the 40s and things. Um, I really just started... Yeah, exploring the idea of it and was very, very aware that it would take the right team of people to mm-hmm. capture the sort of sensitivity and to, to the right sensitivity to, to make it a film that would do Harry's work justice. So that was yeah. the sort of prime concern at the, the start of the process. Because, uh, I mean, there's so many interesting aspects to this. One, I think I'm right saying he was 10 when he got his first camera. Yeah. Which yeah. is quite something. Quite you know? something, yeah. And I think it was just a case of, you know, like his grandparents had bought themselves a camera and they were 
you'd taken it on holiday a bit and thought, you know what, we actually have no idea how to use this. <laughs> We're not making the most of it. And they could see uh, that Harry had quite a keenness towards and getting his hands on the camera and so they gifted it to him and they said look we're not we're not getting the most out of this camera you have it he was given it um as, as a gift and and then i think from that day onwards he pretty much took it everywhere with him and filmed everything he possibly could the equivalent of getting a top of the range apple phone or something yeah exactly like, i don't know what to do with this <laughs> you to look after it yeah uh, but the other thing is the color yeah because uh, i was not expecting to see colour footage from so early on in the century. Yeah. So, now I presume the camera wasn't a colour one, was it? That was because of the war he was able to... Yeah, he was able to get his hand on, uh, get his hands on some colour film, um, whether in a sort of underhanded <laughs> way of getting hold of it, um, or just being very resourceful and very clever, um, but his his position within the, um, the Gurkhas as a surveyor um, he he had certain access to to say he needed colour film for particular reasons and uh, well, I'm very grateful now that he, he managed to get his hands on yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, because he would say, well, I, I need this film to do my job properly, yeah. but then you see all these amazing yeah. other um, pictures that he took. And yeah. what struck me about that was that, because uh, it was the Indian Army, wasn't it, that he yeah. was with? Yeah. And it's often a part of the Second World War, which is largely forgotten, I think. Yes. Um, you know, we think about the wars in Europe and, and, and in, the, in Asia and, and even Australia, I suppose, but India's often forgotten about. Yeah. And then you see this amazing footage of him with these uh, Gurkhas, which seemed like an incredible relationship anyway. Well, I think a big thing for Harry was, you know, he, he volunteered, he signed up, he'd lost his own father during World War One, mm. so he never even met his dad. His father um, passed away before he, he even got to, to, to meet him, so... Um, I think when he went off and volunteered, it was a sort of it was a huge big thing for him and for him and his his mum. But then when he got posted with the Gurkhas, he thought, you know, wow, I've really um, I've really landed quite an opportunity here. As far as he was concerned, it was the finest sort of regiment in the world to get to work with yeah. them. So I think a lot of the motivation behind capturing their um their training and how they worked and his relationship with them was just out of just incredible gratitude that this was the role he was being asked to play during that time and you should see the film for all sorts of reasons but that footage on its own is worth viewing because there's a lot of it's very topical at the moment with 1917 and other films Dunkirk and things like that recently yeah to see that real footage it's quite powerful to see i think yeah it really gives you the sense of that this isn't being acted. These yeah. are real people in real situations. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you have the, the this amount of footage and the diaries as well, as you say. So how do you approach then um, turning into a film when people say, yeah, there could be an interest in this? You've got the director, Matt Pinder. Yes. Was that someone who you approached early on to do it? Matt was the, the absolute linchpin to the whole thing right. coming together. And that... Um, uh, that introduction between two of us was a real synchronicity that occurred because I was kind of, like I say, I was exploring the idea of it. I was talking to some people that I knew within the industry that I'd got to meet, being introduced to other people who might be able to give me some good advice about how to go about this. And I'd, I'd met one person who was really keen to get behind the project to sort of maybe invest and come on board as a producer. But quite quickly, I felt like, you know, I think we want to make very different films mm. here. He was like, let's go back off to India and we'll reenact this and we'll do that. But I was like, it's not Saving Private Ryan. I was like, I, <laughs> I think that's what you're wanting to make. And I think I want to make 
cinema paradiso and so we're, we're kind of going on very different um uh trajectories so i met matt because uh, i'd actually just done a film that i'd acted in um up in scotland that uh, we'd had a bit of press about and in one of the interviews that i did i talked about my granddad because he was a big influence in me wanting to mm. go into cinema in some capacity and um and then shortly after i talked about him in that interview I got contacted um, by Matt and Matt at the time was doing a series for the BBC about amateur home movies in Scotland and he had been told uh, by quite a few people about Harry Birrell, oh you've got to see Harry Birrell's stuff, you've got to track down Harry, Harry, Harry and he hadn't managed to track down Harry's stuff so when he saw me talk about my granddad Harry and he saw my name and he thought this is I need to get in touch with this girl so he got in touch with me and we met up, um, we had a cup of coffee, and he said, I'd love to use a bit of Harry's film for my television series. And I said, okay, um, that would be fine. Would you know, happy happy to, to do that. Mm-hmm. But I'd be really interested talking to you about a dedicated feature documentary, all of Harry's work, really paying homage to him and exploring his work in, in great depth. How would you feel about that? And he, he said, I'd love to. I showed him a bit of the footage that I had like a really s- small amount of it yeah. and uh, uh, and he said yeah it'd be amazing I'd love to do a feature length uh, project at the moment so we just from there that I felt it was a real really nice synergy um, coming together with Matt and uh, and that was the sort of catalyst that was needed to to then start the ball roll, rolling and, uh, and get the project going. I love the idea that the name Harry Burrell had been kind of now whispered around yeah. places. This is the secret footage that you have to see. Um, and it's also narrated beautifully, I think, by Richard Madden. Yeah. So, I mean, what was that the next step to get someone who... Was that the format that when you decided it was going to be more cinema parody than yeah. Private Ryan, that you were going to have a narrator use the diaries yeah so you know matt quite quickly said i want to focus a lot on the sort of wartime stuff you know there's such a wealth of material here we've got to we've got to find an angle mm-hmm. um and, and an angle that's particularly uh, relevant and of interest to audiences that didn't know harry and what's the most extraordinary stuff so we fo- decided a sort of decision to focus on a lot of the wartime stuff and before and after the war and that narration would be a key part of it and very early on, you know, so Matt and I met in 2015, right. uh, or maybe even, the, yeah, 2015. And um, and we'd sort of thrown Richard's name around between us, like, uh, re- in it, re- really, really early on, at the very start of the process. Yeah, interesting. Because, and at that point, Richard had only, he was only really known for Game of Thrones. Yeah, so yeah, lots yeah. of people didn't know his name yet. And uh, and we, we were keen on him because he was from Paisley and because he had a lovely voice, because he sounded quite like Harry. And um, and Matt had actually done a small job with him before. Right. So he recorded Richard doing something um, shortly later also. And by this point, Matt had a couple of the diaries with him and he just had them in the room when he was doing some a job with Richard. And Richard picked up the diaries and started looking at them. Oh, these are amazing. These are cool. What are they? And Matt sort of opportunistically said, oh, we're actually uh, making this uh, this film and we're putting together a bit of a teaser um, to, to try and raise some money for the film. I don't suppose you'd be up for, you know, <laughs> reading some of them and letting me record you. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, no worries. So there and then, on doing, whilst doing another job, Richard lent his voice to reading out a bit of the diaries. Fantastic. 
and then he said then he said at that point you know if you do if you guys do get this made I'd love to love to narrate it so fast forward to like last year before the film came out and and I met Richard for the first time at his premiere for Bodyguard mm. through a completely different um project I was working on and uh and I said to him, you're going to be way too busy now, aren't you? There's no way you're going to do my wee film. And he's like, absolutely not. Like, definitely, oh, I'm committed, brilliant. I'm doing it. And at that point, he's doing Rocket Man. he just done Bodyguard and his star had really kind of risen a lot. So I was very, very grateful that he stayed uh, stayed by his word and found the time to Because you're right, at it. that time when Bodyguard came out, there was no television programme spoken about more. Yeah, no. And he has got this. I, didn't, I don't think I realised... When I've seen him in drama, but hearing him narrate the diary, yeah. he has this incredible voice. Yeah, he's a wonderful yeah. voice. I think and it's one of his finest performances. I, <laughs> no bias at all. I like this idea of it being opportunistic, that the diaries just happen to be there. Yeah. Heavy inverted commas around that opportunistic. Definitely. That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Um, so... It's interesting to also, you say that it's amateur footage, and I suppose, you know, technically, you can argue what amateur is. It doesn't feel like amateur footage. This is someone who, as we say, got his camera at 10 and clearly knew how to use it. Yeah. You know, it, it does feel like, um, uh, you wouldn't think that the guy who was in charge of the people that he's filming was doing the filming. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It, it was quite... Um... It was quite exceptional footage, and I think this is why, like when when Matt first heard Harry's name, um, it was through a lot of the amateur filmmaking people. Mm. So there's a chap called Norman Spears who actually features very briefly in the film talking about Harry, and he ran some of the filmmaking clubs in Glasgow. And Harry had won loads of awards mm. for his films, and um, I think had the had the war not happened, yeah. his intention would have been to go into the film industry, he was starting to write letters um, to studios and to production companies asking for internships and, you know, can I come and get involved? Can I come and learn a bit about how how you work? And, uh, and then war happened and he just sort of thought, well, I think life's got other plans for me. Mm-hmm. And he put that, I think he put that whole... Um, that that whole ambition to do it professionally um to bed and decided well you know i'm very grateful i didn't lose my life in the war i'm going to um i'm going to have family and buy mm. a house and have a sort of stable life which a lot of us who work in film and tv know that it's not these there's not the sort of the the most obvious stable life choice <laughs> well that's one of the things that struck me as i was watching it was that how the war stopped people's lives exactly that or yeah. at least kind of put a hold on them or maybe changed the idea of who they were, you know, yeah. the kind of different perspective on it. But it just strikes me now that a lot of the footage uh, in India in particular, there's a ease with which the people are on camera. You've, you've sometimes seen um, footage of war that's been done by a, an official photographer and people are almost playing up to the camera and waving and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And there isn't that. It's yeah. very much people at ease with the person yes. who's actually shooting it. Yeah. It's a lovely thing. Yeah. Um, so... Now, looking back, did it change, looking at the footage, did it change an idea of your grandfather? I'm trying to think, I had maybe a couple of pictures of my grandparents, you know, weddings and when they were young. And it's also quite an odd thing to see. But to have this amount of footage of of someone as a young man who you knew, as you say, quite briefly, but as an older, you know, as a grandparent, it must be interesting. Yeah, massively changed my... Uh, perspective of who he was and it's, it goes as far as to say changed my relationship with 
him as yeah, a yeah. as a person because we don't often get the opportunity to get to know a grandparent who they were in the period of life that you know I'm living in now so when mm. he was my age who was he when he was younger what you know what was his life like when he was the same age as I am and that felt incredibly personal it felt like wow you're really getting to know almost like a completely different person sure. so you get to know your your grandparent and their your granny or your granddad and you forget often and we do we're all guilty of it, forget they've had this whole incredible life often before we came along and it was a real privilege to to get an insight a really deep insight into what that life was and and how it shaped who he became how it shaped him as a parent how it shaped the rest of us as the offspring of the family um yeah, it sort of get it really gets your your mind thinking about a lot of things and how things may have been different if this had happened, if that hadn't happened, and that whole sliding doors thing. You get a perspective yeah. of maybe the trajectory his life was taking, the way the war changed that, and uh, uh, yeah, it it definitely uh, gave a a very um, interesting and and incredible perspective. And it's also yeah. fantastic to have a film like this which is not concentrating on the big figures you know you know mm. whether it's Churchill or Eisenhower or whoever it would be um, it's actually um, someone who is uh, intrinsically involved on a day-to-day -day level you know who's not flying here there and everywhere and, and it goes for the whole thing I mean I really made me think of the Woody Allen film Zelig where Zelig kind of pops up in all these important pictures yeah. in time. It seems to me that there's there's something of that, that you know, here's someone that, um, unless the film had been made, folk wouldn't necessarily have discovered. Yeah. You know, and, and but it's important points in time as well. Yeah, I think, you know, I've been, the people that have seen the film already, there's been a lot of very personal um, yeah, responses imagine. to it and so. either because they say oh my I had family who were in Burma and my, my dad my granddad whatever or because it just it does sort of give you an opportunity to reflect on your own life he was just like you say he had a or fairly you know ordinary perspective like uh, positioning within what was happening in the war it wasn't you know that he was some sort of high fluting figure or anything mm. But he captured something that a lot of people were able to relate to if they went through that uh, that that period of of time, and uh, yeah, I think that that does feel quite unique because we don't see the war from this perspective no, very often. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, and or, unless it's fictionalised, and then you know to see it in real, I think is something quite special. Yeah. Am I right in thinking he hired out the GFT at one point to show? He did like, so a lot of the footage. Yes, and and he actually showed. So he Harry made a film uh, once once he'd retired and his favorite pastime was sort of going up to the attic and sitting in um, mm. uh, in isolation and exploring the films that he's taken throughout his life and sort of chopping things together. He put a film together in uh, the 70s called Looking Back, which was a quite sort of amateur stitching together of lots of stuff that he shot throughout his life. And I had seen Looking Back, and that was something that he'd shared with the family, but he kind of skipped a lot of the war stuff. Right. So you see, when you see life before the war, you see life when he's got a family and things, and you skip a lot of the war stuff. But he was incredibly proud of, uh, of this film. 
and he'd had some interest I think uh, actually not I think he had had some interest mm-hmm. from the BBC in uh, in showing his film right. on mainstream television and he was extremely excited about this um, but then they came back to him and they said you know well, it's, it's fantastic we think your film's incredible but you know it's three and a quarter mm-hmm. hours long we'd probably have to cut it because um, we all know that you, getting an hour and a half on the BBC is uh, privileged enough to get a little getting three hours and a quarter and he said, well, I can't possibly cut it. So anyway, they said, well, you know, that's uh, unfortunately we're not going to be able to, to show it. So he took the decision to hire out the GFT and put on this sort of very grand uh, uh, showing to all his friends and family. And he filled out the whole of what's now GFT1 yeah. um, wow. with friends and family, 1976. And uh, and that was actually really incredibly lovely uh or coincidence that we ended up premiering the film during mm. Glasgow Film Festival in GFT one because we were originally meant to be in the other auditorium GFT sure. two and we sold we sold out so they put us in the bigger space and then we we filled that up as well and and then it was a it was a really really special thing oh, thinking wow. what a, what a, what a cool thing that we're now premiering this film in the same auditorium yeah. not because we've orchestrated it just because that's how it's happening yeah the kind of feeling of previous f- films in that room and yeah. ghosts in the room. There's a very poignant piece of narration that says, uh, my memory is not good and that many of the, the memories I have are now fading. And was there comfort for him in having the images as that was the case? Because it's quite, obviously it's a common thing, you know, yeah. in the aging population that the memory isn't so good. Absolutely. Um, I think it was a comfort having that, that, that memory through his films, but you know, as you see watching the film, that his eyesight also started yeah. to really deteriorate um, as he got older. And so I think that was a really a very big, uh, big challenge for him. He could no longer really edit his films together. Mm. And it was his absolute favourite thing to do in life is to 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 um, sit and root through his old films that he'd taken and, and edit them and, and uh, yeah, watch them and things. So that, that would have been a massive challenge, mm. starting to lose his eyesight. Yeah, and uh, you know, obviously, you said you'd been working on the, on the film for a while before it it, it was shown uh, at the uh, film festival. How does your relationship with the film change over that period of time? You know, you have all these hopes and ideas about what it's going to be, and when at the end, were you? Uh, how did you feel about it? Well, yeah, it was it was quite a long journey because Matt and I met, and then we were both. Um, we were both really ensconced in other work that we were doing. I went over to the States briefly for a year or so mm-hmm. doing a program over there. And uh, Matt was working on some really pretty, anybody that's seen any of Matt's other stuff, he's done some pretty heavy material, a lot of sort of prison related stuff and murder trials. And um, and this was a sort a real kind of opportunity, a light relief for him. Mm-hmm. So he, we, we, we it, it was something that, was going on in both of our lives for really quite a long time, but it was just being fitted around other work. And when we got Hopscotch um, involved as well uh-huh. to to work as producers on the film, and, and John at Hopscotch um, came in and, and they really tackled a, a huge amount of the actual practical production work, which allowed us to, to, to be freed up and focus on a lot of the creative side of it. And, and yeah, Matt would just really went and uh immerse himself completely in harry's world and i think 
saw maybe quite a lot of himself in Harry as a filmmaker, so really felt this lovely synergy. And then by the time we actually came to the first cut of the film, it was quite special because it had been a really long process. We hadn't had to to rush, really, to finish Mm -hmm. it, so we just allowed it to come to fruition when it was ready, and actually it would have been 100 years um, Harry would have turned 100 the year that we premiered so that was wow. also quite a lovely yeah. thing to think actually this is it's nice finishing now in 2019 and yeah it feel, feels right yeah. Uh, yeah and I think that's that's the thing watching it it feels right it ends when it's supposed to end nothing about it feels rushed and, and almost it has this gestation period off the 100 years from, yeah. from at least from when he started shooting and I love the fact that the director of photography credit is yeah. Harry which is a, a lovely touch I mean that it had to be I think yeah, like yeah. when Matt when Matt and I started chatting about how how did we see the film come together and we were talking about you know trying to locate a lot of Harry's maybe contemporaries that were still around and still alive and when I'd started thinking about making the film it was a. I was thinking, right, I want to interview... You know, at the time I'd first thought about doing it, Harry's sister was still alive and mm-hmm. other friends of his were still alive and and um, they started passing away and I started thinking, yeah. oh my God, if I don't do something now, I'm going to leave this too late and I'm going to lose all these really crucial voices who can talk to us about who Harry was. But as we got more... Um, as, as we got more involved in the process, Matt's said you know i really want harry's work to to be the star in this film we don't want it to be too many kind of talking heads and there's a lot of material here that we can that uh that we can use we don't want to kind of cut that short by doing contemporary interviews and and, in the modern day with people so so yeah i think that that kind of shaped a, a lot of how we went about it and um yeah rather than doing uh, lots of interviews with people it was really about allowing Harry's work to, to be the star and from that it meant he was the director of photography because 90, 95% <laughs> of what you see in the film was shot by him I mean I think that exactly you could have had different talking heads and it might have been interesting but really what yeah. you want to see is more of the photography absolutely you know, that's it. and uh because there was this um, amount of material, did you ever think you would split it into two, or was it always going to be one, one feature? Well, we might still do another. Well, but... <laughs> I, I didn't want to say that. Yeah. Um, um, this project was always going to be one feature, so we never. Right. It was really, it was really important to me. Um, probably more for sort of personal and quite kind of nostalgic reasons. Yeah. That it be seen, that it be a, a cinematic proposition, that it be something that could be enjoyed in a cinema, that it could be something that celebrated cinema and it celebrated mm. uh, film and it celebrated filmmaking because that was such a huge part of what drove Harry and his passion for making these films was the magic of the cinema. So that sort of 90 minute format was I was quite married to that from quite early on and that actually nobody came along and said well, what about doing three episodes what about doing it yeah. episodically and uh, we were really really lucky to be able to be supported in in it being a, a 90 minute 
sure. feature length yeah. documentary that's how it's that's that's how it's ended up and we're really lucky that the the bbc were supportive in that decision 90 minutes and um on screen scotland were happy with that and yeah it felt like like i said how it was meant to be it was yeah. just uh yeah and there's so much more footage so although the diaries stop at the end of the war so if we were to do stuff that that explored some of his later footage we maybe have to think about a slightly different uh, structure, approach, different yeah. approach to it, yeah. But. And talking about things that are meant to be, it's mm. going to be on uh, BBC Scotland on uh, March the 17th. So yeah. all this time after he didn't get it on the BBC, you're managing to finally get this footage onto it. That yeah. was fantastic. Absolutely. The week of his birthday. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> superb. Um, well, Kina, thank you very much for talking to us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's a lovely film. Thank you. So uh, if you are watching or listening to this, it is going to be on BBC Scotland, March the 17th at 10pm and it'll be available on iPlayer right across yeah. the country as well so tune in for that yeah. and we'll be back soon uh, with you and someone completely different cheers mm-hmm.